and stand with me this morning to uh, turn with me to John chapter 10. I'm going to read one verse out of five translations. John 10, 10. If you're there, say amen. If you're on the screen, say amen. Y'all still got to bring your Bibles. Y'all don't know it, but we pan the crowd with this camera right here. And everybody that don't have Bibles and texting and everything, we put you up on the internet. Yeah, yeah, we do. And we have a little captions that says, rebellious, apathetic. No, we don't. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. John 10, verse 10. Are you ready? The thief, that's our adversary, the devil, uh, or, or anything or anyone that has these traits. He cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Jesus said, but I am come that you might have life and that you would have it more abundantly. The Amplified Version says this, the thief comes only in order to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. New Living Translation. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. But my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. God's word translation. A thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. But I came so that my sheep will have life and so that they will have everything they need. And the message, which is a paraphrase. A thief is only here to steal, kill and destroy. But I've come so they can have real and eternal life more and better than they ever dreamed of. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord this morning. There is a small difference, but a great difference in this new Christian view of studying the Word of God only to find out what you can get from God and God's our talisman God's our genie in the bottle and we pray a certain way so that we can get everything we want from the Lord. And that is way out of balance. But the negative of that is people do not search out what God's intention and design is for our life before we ever were born or before we ever asked. The word that should describe you as a believer is the opposite of what it looks like for those that are unbelievers. Unbelievers may have better character than the believer, like they might have been a good Joe and the believer might have had a selfishness about him. But the unbeliever, the person that walks outside of God's intention and plan for them, has constant pockets of their life. You can see where something was stolen. Years were stolen. Opportunities were stolen. Relationships were stolen. Health was stolen. All of those things, there's killing. There's the killing of their mind, their body, their soul, their relationships. There's a withering, an aging. Those of you that were like me and you spent a lot of years in foolishness, you saw the weathering on the faces of people. You'd say, they have a hard life. Well, they've been stolen from and they're being killed by degrees. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Destroy the opportunity for... uh, success in your life or the opportunity to glorify God in your life or to be a good father or a good mother. The unbeliever 
the intention of the evil one, the adversary, in the life of the unbeliever, as well as in everyone else, but his focus is to steal from them and kill them and destroy them. And we know what that looks like. Anything that has to do with excess and bondage and loss and destruction, and you categorize them, they've had a hard life. Well, the enemy's had their way in their life. Okay, having said that, the opposite of that, Jesus compares the work of the enemy and the work the work of his son, God's son in our life, is the word life. I sometimes think that, well, the opposite is holiness. Well, we are to be holy. God commands us to be holy. But he said, I've come that you would live. Live. Not exist. Not make it. Hold. How are you doing today, sis? I'm holding on, you know. Now, that's okay every now and then, but if that's all the time, then we're missing God's design for our life. The life God is referring to in this passage is more than possessions, more than status, more than power or notoriety. The life he is referring to is eternal, and it can never be stolen, lost, or diminished. It is eternal by nature, but it's temporal in its expressions. It is not something loaned, but given. It is an internal, eternal possession. It's the signature of God. I love that. It's the signature of God in the life of the believer. How do you know that I know him? Because I am alive. You don't have to be loud. You can say, I'm alive. You don't have to be who you are. But your life pulses with a life from above. It's different. It's what separates me. I'm no better than some of my unsaved friends in some categories. But they don't have the light in their soul. They don't have the countenance that a believer is supposed to have. They don't have the hope that a believer has. The signature of God is that we are alive. We're not diseased, dis-ease. We're not infected. We're not hopeless. We're not helpless. We're not powerless. In him was life. And it was the light of men. And we have it. We possess it. It's the signature of God. It doesn't mean we don't have weak moments. You can be alive while you're weak. That's where the weak say, yeah, I may be weak today, but I'm strong. The poor say, I may be poor today, but I am rich. If I died today, I may be penniless here. But I have a mansion prepared for me in heaven by God. And I'm going to be rewarded for every good work I've done. I'm wealthy. I don't look like it. But I'm wealthy. The signature of God is not possessions. But it's an, it can be expressed in temporal ways. But the signature is the word life. Could it be? Could it be said of you? That the life God has for you is greater than the life you're living today. This quality of life is available. The quality of life available is up to God. But the life you are living today is up to you. Before I pray for myself and us, I want you to listen to this. The life you have today is what you've chosen. What do you mean? I didn't say where you live was your choice. I didn't say what's in your bank account was your choice. I said the life you have today, the life, the internal reality of who you are in God and how it is expressed in your life 
is all your choice. It's not how we were raised. It wasn't how mama was raised. Because he told us when he comes into our life, he said, I make you a new creation and all things are new. Could it be what's available to us is greater than what we're living today? If the devil can't kill us, he wants to steal from us our life. And there's no doubt about it. Are we in agreement? Jesus said, I have come that you would have life. Not just saved. Life. If all he wanted to do was save me, he'd have saved me and killed me. Right? John saved, before he messes up, kill him, heart attack, take him to heaven. He wants us to be a billboard, an advertisement for the goodness of God. And that shows up as life. Would you pray with me and for me this morning? Lord, I just humble myself before you today. And I know you've given me this word. Sometimes I come in and teach. And sometimes I preach for change. But today you've given me a word for this church and for individuals. And when we heard the gospel, Lord, we received with meekness that word. And it translated us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son. Could it be today, O Lord, that you have planned a word from heaven that if we would believe would transcend and transform our very existence, that we would see things through heaven's eyes and we would no longer be bound by our emotions and feelings, but we would pulse with the life of God that has been given to us and is available to us. Show us where we are, who we are, and what you have for us today, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God gives life. God gives life, number one, from within himself. It is a result of his will, his breath, and his power. God does not say, okay, have some life. It's all transferred through Christ his son. For the believer, it's transferred. But the concept of it comes from God. You remember in the beginning when he made man out of the dust of the earth? And he formed him. So here's this mud man, right? If he made him out of the ground, you have to have a little moisture to have it stick together, right? You ain't thought about that. Okay. So he makes this little mud man and he's just standing there. And then there was a little spot on his foot that made him uneven. So God had to rub it and make his foot even. So he's standing there. And God did what? And he became a living soul. You have to understand that life is not God giving someone a job or a house or a car. It's life from him. It's not something outside of him. He gives us life. He breathes in us the breath of life. And that's where the connection comes from. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And, and the sap flows. So all that I need comes from him. He's not speaking over me, making something happen outside of me, the eternal thing, the eternal thing, the life comes from contact and intimacy. Now the expressions, he could speak over me blessings and certain provisions and certain open doors, but the life is personal. That's why Mary, Jesus had to be born of a virgin because uh, if Joseph had been the father, the blood would have come from Joseph and the life is in the blood. And Joseph being a sinner because his father was a sinner and his great granddad was a sinner. That life, when Mary conceived, it was the life of God and it was spotless and it was pure. So see, we don't get this life by modification. 
I'm going to change a few things in my life. That doesn't bring life. Life comes by faith. It comes in believing that God is the giver of it and gives it to us. And there is no true life experienced outside of God. We have an existence which has some joys and sorrows, some happiness and unhappiness, but no life. The life, the eternal life, uh, isn't found in external sources. It's found internally and it's a private possession. Here's what the Bible says about this, about life coming from God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was, became God. And He became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. Glory is the only begotten of God, full of grace and full of truth. In Him was life. And His life was the light of men. It is our connection to God through Christ by which this life is transferred and shared. And people who have this life know it. And we know that life cannot be found in anything or anywhere or anyone else. We've learned by experience. Have you ever thought of this? Everything that man makes, he has to kill it before he makes it. Wooden house. We have to kill a tree to make the lumber. Your concrete for your driveway. We have to kill the earth to make the concrete. And you don't believe me if you killed it, break your concrete up and try to plant something in it. That plastic, certain elements, certain minerals, certain ores had to be killed to make that. McDonald's french fries. That scared me that last video I saw. They put it out for like three years and it looked the same in that box. That's not potatoes. If a fly won't land on it, it ain't food. You hear me? It ain't food. I didn't say it didn't taste good. It ain't food. And if it don't go away, it's not food. That's plastic. It's one, one, what was it? One element away from being plastic. But it sure is good when it come right out to grease with salt on it, isn't it? It's sure. Everything that man makes, he has to kill it. So then if that's true, first the natural, then the spiritual. Don't you see that everything that comes from without, when man offers you something, a new car, look at it in 15 years, new house, your youth, check you out in the mirror 15 years from now, everything's going south. Trust me, gravity has never lost a battle. Those of you who are young, what would that mean? Nothing, just nothing. Get back to my message, hold on. But God doesn't kill something to make something. As a matter of fact, he takes dead things and brings them back. When you understand that he's the creator, he's the resurrection and the life, what we need, see, our problem is not our problem. Our problem is we're not alive. That's the problem. Our problem is we see things carnally before we see them spiritually. And when you lose heaven perspective, you can get off, off. But when you understand that I am hid with Christ and God, I'm seated in heavenly places. Why would God tell us we're seated with Christ in heavenly places? Really? Are you seated with God today or are you sitting in a chair? That's the carnal mind. Did God lie? Why would he tell us that? Because heaven's reality. See, heaven's reality is truth. What we have here are facts. The fact is you're sitting on the first or second row. Fact is Ben's sitting right there. The truth is the real him is already home. He's seated with Christ in heavenly places. Why would he tell us that? 
Because the view from above gives you proper perspective. Macon, Macon and Atlanta look so big. And you get up in the jet, and after you take off, about five minutes in, you go, look at Atlanta down there. This little bit, oh, look at that little Atlanta. And you just move, and it says you're doing 770 miles an hour. You're like, I wish I had one of these at home. And you could travel. But the perspective, when you can look over several states at one time, what God tells you is, if you allow my life to illuminate your soul. In him was life, and his life was the light of men. You'll look down from heaven, and the things that seemed so big yesterday will seem so proportionately small today. And you'll understand in the grand scheme of things that God has it, God has you, and you. nothing eternal can be lost. Nothing eternal can be lost. Nothing. God gives life. And we who are believers know that it's found in nothing else. We depend on it. We're grateful for it. We're not ashamed of it. We treasure it. We nurture it. We sow into it. And we celebrate it. God gives life from within himself. Number two, God gives life to those he has chosen. Election has very little to do with who you are and everything to do with who God is. John 15 says, you've not chosen me, but I've chosen you. And I ordained you that you'd go and bring forth fruit and your fruit would remain. Romans 8, 29. God knew his people in advance. He knew you. And he chose you to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among brothers and sisters. Firstborn, first living among brothers and sisters. And having chosen you, he called you to come to him. And having called you, he gave you the right standing with himself And giving them right standing, he gave them glory. Everything that Jesus had, now in a smaller measure, but the essence of it is the same. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. The same life that he had is in you. And we don't look to it enough. We we keep trying to help it from the outside. What we need to do is just open the channel more. Just open the channel and receive what's already been given us through Christ, what's available to us. To those he has chosen, he gives life. And we know that we've been chosen because we believe and receive this life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. And no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. I know that I'm one of his because he drew me and recreated me. That life was not a one-time thing at salvation. It was not just an earnest deposit. It was a continual sharing of life. You remember in the New Testament it says, And Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. It's like the wind all around you. God's life is available in you, around you, in front of you, behind you. To those who are chosen, they choose this life. This is another way we know we're of him. Because there are many people that believe they're saved that aren't saved. I can prove it. The Bible said in the last day, they'll say, Lord, they'll call him Lord, not God. They'll say, Lord, have we not done many mighty, wonderful works in your name? He said, I don't even know who you are. And they'll be cast away. So how do you and I know That we're elect. How do we know? It's not only that we received life at salvation. We choose life. 
We are drawn to who we are and who our Father is. He said it this way in the Old Testament, but it's applicable to us as believers. Moses said, I call on heaven and earth as witnesses today that I've offered you life or death, blessings or curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants will live. Love the Lord your God, obey him and be loyal to him. This will be your way of life and it will mean a long life, 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 life for you in the land that the Lord has swore to give to your ancestors. God gives life not only to those who believe, but those who choose it. What area of your life today has the signature of something being stolen, something being killed, and something to be destroyed? That all you have to do is choose life instead. You will not find life in what the world offers. You will find pleasure. I wish the church would have told me that. All I heard was, there's nothing for you. And I found that sin was fun. I did. They didn't tell me that. And the Bible said, oh, there's pleasure in sin, but for a season. The world can offer pleasure. The world can offer satisfaction of certain lust, but it cannot offer life. It cannot offer anything that can have you sit in a room by yourself. Nurse pulls the drape. Visiting hours are over. Nothing that will allow you to sit in that room with the malignant report on the wall and have the sense that God has walked through the nurse, through the drape, to your bedside and said, I am with you. I have life because he is life. And I may have this report. And if I die from this report, I'm coming back to life because I am a possessor of life. That's the hope of the Christian, Christ in you. So who is Christ? Life and life in me. That's the hope of glory. You can't kill me. You can't move me. You can't stop me. And I'm not talking about success or climbing a ladder. I'm talking about living through this world and coming into the next when you cannot stop life. And the proof of it was the resurrection. And they had shut the light out. He was the light of the world. And what did he tell them before he left? You're the light of the world. How can I be the light of the world if you're the light of the world? Because I am with you, but I will soon be in you. Before he died, he told them, you're the light of the world. I don't think I'm a light. Do you think I'm a light? I'm not a light. It ain't happened yet. And the life that I have and am, when Jesus was resurrected, The Bible said the Holy Spirit had not yet been given and it was spread abroad. The Holy Ghost was spread abroad in our hearts or the love of God by the Holy Spirit and the earnest of our inheritance, a down payment, a a marking, uh, a witness, the deposit of life cannot be extinguished. And we know that we are Christians because we choose life. Listen, choosing life does not make us a Christian. But because we're a Christian, we choose life. Can't help it. It's like magnets drawn to each other. Say, stop, stop, stop. Can't help it. You are drawn to the things that honors God and that pleases God and brings great glory to him. Now, our flesh is not. And it doesn't mean that you're perfect because you still carry your flesh around. But in the end, you know where life is found. Number three, God gives life accordingly. 
this will be more at a personal level for you this morning. What do you mean accordingly? Accordingly. In accord. Uh, in harmony with. The disciples were in one accord of one mind. The, the, the harmony we had on stage this morning, the three parts, four parts, could have been more. I don't know how many there are, but there was a bunch of them. And they all blended together. They were with one mind and one purpose. And God's life is given according to your needs, to your desires and your requests. Here's what you need to know about the life of God. The life of God in him and the life of God in you are the same. It's like separating a glass of water and pouring a little bit of water in this. It comes from the same thing. But here's the dynamic about it. He's drawn to you. There's a, there's a pulling. He shows it in nature to show you in the spirit realm. You separate a, a baby calf from its mother and the calf begins to moan and to make the noise and the mom comes and finds it. When we cry to the Lord, the Bible said he hears us. And if I know he's heard me, then I know I have the desire that I've made of him. And like a mother, and this is amazing. My wife has it. I don't know the difference. I just call it all noise. All the kids, it's just noise. You just group it together. And Elisha, he's so happy, but he's loud happy. He's loud sad. He's loud mad. It's just this volume. And they'll just be, and Kelly's just ignoring them. And I go, did you hear him? She goes, they're okay. And it sounded like they're done. I said, I think one of them's been amputated. I think they've lost something in here. She goes, no, it's fine. And then you can just hear a, Mama. and she, chung, out the room. I said, what? I just thought it was, Mama, you know. She said, Mm-mm, I can tell. I can tell because they're mine. There's a connection there that I can weed through, weave through all the interference and know that I'm needed And if we who are evil cannot ignore our children, how much more do you think your heavenly father can withhold or withstand helping you in your time of need? But then then why don't I receive it? We don't believe it. Where Where there's unbelief, Jesus did not any mighty wonderful works. He would come into towns and heal everybody that was sick and come into another town and heal one or two people and leave. Could it be that life has been right outside of your door this whole time and you've not appropriated it by faith saying, Lord, I know I'm unworthy, but I house your spirit and I need you. He's drawn. In the Old Testament, God describes himself as the full-breasted one. And I know we're all adults and you know I'm not trying to be lewd, but I've had nursing mothers tell me, they said, you know, at the sound of my child, my breast will bring forth. And they said, but what you don't know is that the sound of another child, if it's desperate enough, I'll begin to lactate and it's not even my baby. Why would God say I'm the full-breasted one? He said, because when I hear you cry, what I am flows from me to you. That baby needs milk. So milk flows. Here's what you need to know about God. God is so good that his goodness will find you. Virtue come out of Jesus. He said, who touched me? It just, found, it just poured from him. We're not wrestling God in prayer, trying to get him to bless us. I have his life, which is his promise of his nearness and affection for me. And we don't ask in faith. 
We don't receive in faith. We don't want to bother the Lord with it. And that's why we live under the life that God has for us. When Jesus, who was God walking the earth, the God man walking the earth, there was an example of this where desire produces a, a request and the request draws the ear of God. And then there's interference from all the disciples, but the need was met anyway. Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, just heard, didn't see. See, you gotta, you gotta see this in the spirit. He didn't see Jesus. He just heard he was nearby. So which way does a blind man go to nearby? He heard someone saying that Jesus, Messiah, is nearby. And he just took off running. It was pitiful, but it was powerful. He just takes off running. This blind man is, Jesus, Son of God! And he falls. If if a blind man's running, I would expect he fell in a ditch or over something or runs into an animal or a wall. And he gets back up and he just starts running the other direction. Son of David, have mercy on me. And then the disciples heard him and said, shh, be quiet. You'll trouble the master. He said, you be quiet. You're not blind. Jesus, have mercy on me. And Jesus heard him and said, bring him to me. And he brought him in front of him, led him in front of him. Now watch, what's his reality? Can't see nothing. And when life transferred, he said, What do you need? He goes, oh, Lord, that I would see. I'm asking you for the impossible thing. I'm asking you for the improbable thing. I'm asking you what nobody around me believes with me for. And he said, be it unto you. And his eyes opened. Our problem is we are so afraid of what someone will think about our request that we don't give it. And if you sense the Lord's glory in a, a service or in the car or something, you just pull off the exit. You come out, Lord, I need you today. You are my life. And if life transfers, impossible things happen. Power's released. Everything you need is inside of you. It's his Holy Spirit. We love to quote this verse, we with Pentecostal backgrounds. Now God is able to do, help me, exceedingly, abundantly, above all you can ask or think. And we stop. According to the power that already worketh in you. That's the reason we don't have the exceedingly, abundantly, above all we can ask or think. Because we have squelched the power that worketh within us. If it's already working within you, it'll work outside of you. God gives life according to our humility. The Canaanite woman who brought a request to the Lord to heal her daughter who was demon-possessed. And uh, Jesus made the statement. He said, it's not meat to give the children's bread to dogs. She goes, oh, I know I'm a dog, but I'm your puppy. And she worshipped him. A dog? A, 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 a Gentile? Oh, absolutely. But I didn't come asking you based on who I am. I came asking you based on who you are. And that humility touched the heart of God. And he healed her. God gives life according to our capacity. I don't know who this is for, but I just felt this in my spirit so strong this morning. When Mary was given the promise 
that you'd found favor with God and you're going to bring forth a son. His name will be called Emmanuel, God with us. How can this be? I've never been with a, uh, a man before. I've, I've never known a man. He said, well, the power of God is going to come upon you and the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you. It's going to be a God thing. It's going to be a spirit thing. And she said, be it unto me according to your word. What? Let a virgin birth happen to me. Her capacity to receive allowed something never even heard of to happen in her life. I wonder if the reason the thing is not happening in us is we don't have the capacity to receive what he's offering us. Where you can step out and say, God has given me children. I don't care what it looks like, sounds like. He is a, the living God. He said children are the heritage of the Lord. If he never mentioned anything else but that. And I know I have his heritage. God, I believe that you step out and that capacity, if, if, if what God wants to give you will not fit, he won't force it upon you. Be it unto me. Let it happen. Just like you said, I believe there's not room. Wait just a minute. I'll make room. You tell those friends, you got to go. You've been holding me back. Bye. This has to move. I got to make room for what God has for me. God gives life according to our faith. Faith in his person, faith in his promises, faith in his goodness, faith in his faithfulness. God gives life according to his pleasure and on his schedule, his timetable. Listen, your pastor has preached this to himself so many times. God has a plan. God is working the plan and God will finish the plan. God has a plan. God is working the plan and God will finish the plan. When Jesus came to the earth, it said... But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth a son made of a woman made under the law. When the fullness of time had come, at just the right time, at just the right moment. Do you understand that the things God has planned for you are going to happen right when he planned it, right as he said it, and no weapon formed against you can stop it? It happens when he says, like he says, and because he said. Somebody had a bumper sticker not too long ago. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. No, God said it. That settles it. He doesn't have to have us in the equation, but he wants us to believe alongside him so that we can receive the glory of believing, testifying to others. Anyone can shout after the miracle comes. Anyone can take Miriam's timbrel and sing the horse and the rider is thrown into the sea after the horse and the rider are thrown into the sea. But when you stand in front of an ominous cloud and you say, my Lord is greater, bigger, and I'm not intimidated by you. You may have your way in the moment, but it's only at his leisure and pleasure. And when he's done with this, when he's done, when the Lord, after the storm ceases, the Lord will teach you what I believe to be about him. So have your way while you have your way. But know this, when he's done, he goes, that's enough. He steps off the throne and says, now... For the one I spoke over, and I believe that life that I have in you and in myself, when they meet, there's going to be an explosion. And great change comes. Great change. How can it not come if I'm attached to God and the sap is flowing? How can it not change if the sap is flowing? God gives life according to the measure of death you've experienced. I don't want to go into a lot of personal illustration, but 
Again, this is another one. I don't know who it's for, but it's going to fit like a custom-made suit for you. It's going to fit every part. You are more clear about what you've lost than what's available to you. You can tell the story behind you chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter with all the illustrations. And all you'll say on God's end is, but I know the Lord is able. But to the faith-filled person, they understand that resurrection only comes to dead things and dead people. Why would he say, I am the resurrection? Why would he tell me? He is whether he tells me or not. Why would he tell me I have the keys of death? Hell, I'm grave, I got them all. Why would he tell me? So when I experience death, hell, or the grave, I would understand that all I need to see is the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That's all I need to see. It's all I need to see. Sometimes you don't even ask. Let me tell you how powerful my God is. I hope you understand by now, I'm not preaching to get your approval. I'm testifying to you of the glory that I've seen with my own eyes in my life and in the lives of other people. Sometimes you don't even ask. There was a woman taking her son to be buried in the side of a mountain, side of a hill. They cut away the little rock and they've got him on uh, this beer, B-I-E-R. It's two poles with a weaving of, of some fabric form and they lay the corpse up on top of, of it and they've got the little flowers on him and they're carrying him and she's, it's her only son. And Jesus just talking to the disciples and the funeral goes by and he goes, excuse me just a minute reached up and stuck his hand on the top. And the boy sat up and he goes, here, mama. He goes back to what he's doing. Here, mama, what? Sometimes there's just so much resurrection in me, I'll even give it to people that aren't asking. Why else would he give it to us in the scripture? He wants us to know this morning he is full of life for you. Full overflowing, willing, able, ready. He's the resurrection. Lord, don't pull the stone away. By now, he's four days dead. Did I not tell you? In your life, if you'd believe you'd see the glory of God, please don't see Lazarus' tomb clearer than you see the resurrection standing right beside you. How about see them both? Four days dead. Oh, you got a plan. <laughs> Stinking, decomposing. Oh, you're working the plan. Nobody else believes. I believe. Do it. He said, roll the stone away. And Jesus stood in front of this open tomb and called his name Lazarus. Heard one preacher say, good thing he said Lazarus. Because if he had just said, come forth, everybody ever died would have got up out of the ground. What do you think the rapture is going to be? Come forth. And everybody that's ever died in Christ is going to get up out of the grave. That dead man come up out of the ground and walk towards me. He goes, untie him. It's hot in there. Untie him. Let him go. What happens after that? What if you're the one untying Lazarus? Oh, is it really you, man? Mm-hmm. What happened? I don't know. I was in the upper part of Sheol one minute, and I heard a voice. And he was calling my name. Do you not understand that dead people don't hear? See, God doesn't play by your understanding of limitations and rules. He's the Lord. 
And I'd rather have childlike faith. Maybe that's why he says, unless you become like little children, you won't even see most of the kingdom. You won't even get it. A child thinks their daddy can do. Okay. Now, in reality, the child's daddy can't. But our father can. No limits to him. Our God gives life abundantly. We said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Here's what that word means. Super abundant, excessive, superior, beyond measure. And one of the adjectives is violent. What it means is God's life is actively expressing itself to get to you. Now, where we've missed it is we've taught that God wants us to have abundant life means bigger house, bigger car. That's not what it's talking about. We're talking about the internal possession of God's spirit and also how that spirit expresses himself. Yes, there are material blessings, but that's never the issue. And it's never the goal. Does that word describe you this morning? Does it describe me? Abundant life. Excessive life. Superior life. Beyond measure. It happened at your new birth. Abundant life. Enough life to change people like you and I overnight. Kristen, they, people don't know. We can tell the story over and over. Bound to alcohol four or five nights a week for seven years. And overnight, free. When he created me, he said, I make all things new. Come here, John. Not perfect, alive. The flesh is still there, but abundant deliverance. I don't, no offense to anyone here. I don't need your therapy. I don't need your group. I don't need you to push momentum. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. I have faith in that. I didn't say you couldn't come off of what you come off of with the help of men. I'm saying you don't have to have men to come off. He's enough in the form of favor, in his favor's life. God gives abundant life in the form of peace, great peace, abiding peace, peace that passes understanding. If you have peace with God and the peace of God, you can navigate anything. So if, I'm, if the sap is flowing, I can only be what he's giving me. And God ain't worried. God's not worried. He's not anxious. You'll notice that most of the commands he tells you in the New Testament, like don't be anxious, don't be fearful, don't be afraid. He's just saying, don't be the opposite of what I'm giving you. I ain't worried about nothing. And see, we're not so sure God's up to speed because that's why we spend the first 30 minutes of our prayer updating him. Lord, I know you didn't know what happened, but guess what? And we tell him, really? I know. That's why I need your help. Did you even know? We give him all the details. Well, how should we pray? We should come before him honestly and authentically. We start our prayers with, Father, you know. Now, period. I'm not going to rehearse what you already know. Let me tell you what I believe about you. And faith will rise in your heart. If he said abundant life, could he have possibly meant just enough to get by? <laughs> There's no way. They're not the same. Violent life. Life that says, I'll fight every pocket of darkness. I'll fight every pocket of limitation, dis-ease. I'll fight every pocket of unbelief. I want you to live and represent me in the earth with flaws, with weaknesses, but life. I've seen them in nursing homes with life. I've seen them blind 
with life. I've seen them alone with life, pulsing with the life of God. Ben, if you would come this morning, please. He gives us abundant life in the form of rest. Matthew 11 says, learn of me and you'll find rest unto your souls. He gives life, abundant life in the form of healing. Listen to this. The goal of healing is not the absence of sickness, but the joy of knowing wholeness. The goal of healing is not just to fix something, but to release wholeness in our life. God gives abundant life. And so what I'm telling you, when he saves you, he abundantly saves you. When he gives you favor, it's abundant favor. When he gives you peace, it's abundant peace. When he gives you rest, it's abundant rest. When he heals you, it's abundant healing. And when he restores you, it's abundant restoration. It's funny they read out of Psalms 23. It was in my notes this morning. David said, he restoreth my soul. Restore means re to do over. Store, what was in the storehouse, what was there? Restore, give back. So everything that I lost, the temporal stuff, the, now not the non-essentials, but Lord, what was stolen from me or killed, from, destroyed from me, I restore your soul. So are you going to give back this relationship? Or are you going to, no, listen. I'm going to restore the seed of your affections. That's what your soul is. Where you feel love, joy, feelings, the seed of your emotions. I'm going to restore you. He gives the abandoned woman who raises her kids by, by herself. He gives her the joy of grandchildren and her countenance comes back to life. The person with no home, he puts them in a family. He restores our soul and he does it abundantly. If he did nothing but gave you what was burnt up, beauty for ashes, that's a lot of beauty. If there was a a word that would describe your pastor, it's not good, it's not selfish, selfless, it would be restored. Just restored. And if I did anything right, it was I knew who he was. I don't see how. I told him. I don't see how. I don't feel how. I don't even know if I believe how. But I know who you are. And if you can't do it, it can't be done. All my eggs are in your basket. I'm all in. And like David, I can pin today. He restoreth my soul exceedingly, abundantly above all I can ask or think. He gives life, abundant joy. It's the strength of the believer. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And abundant intimacy. And finally, God gives life supernaturally. It shows up naturally, but it's given supernaturally which means it can't be done any other way. It cannot come from man. It can't come from Pastor John or church. It's not by might, not by power, not by spirit, uh, not by effort, not by enticing words of man's wisdom, not by gift. It's by God's spirit that life is given. God has planned for you to live. Everyone in this room, I can't speak for others. God knew who would be here today. He has come. 
through the person of his son that you would live abundantly. He's planned for you to live. He's invited you to live. He's empowered you to live. And this is what I've been waiting all morning to tell you. He's commanded you to live. What do you mean? The first type of salvation was the nation of Israel who were not Jews. It was a Gentile. Abraham was a Gentile. And he said, I'm going to take a Gentile, unqualified, unaccepted, outside of the, uh, my scope of interest. And he chose Abraham out. And listen how he described him in Ezekiel. This is what the Lord says to Jerusalem. Your origin and your birth were in the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. As for your birth, your umbilical cord wasn't cut on the day you were born. You weren't washed clean with water. You were not rubbed with salt or wrapped in clothes. No one cared enough about you to even do one of those things out of compassion for you. But you were thrown out into the open field because you were despised on the day you were born. Which means we aborted you really. We just threw you out in the field and left you to die. I passed by you and saw you living in your own blood. And I commanded you as you lay in your own blood, live! And the nation of Israel was born. He said, it was my command. And he said it twice. And in your own blood, the umbilical cord not even cut, just pulled apart. I said, live. And he said, and I raised you up like fertile plants at that one command. And God has commanded you to live. He asked Jeremiah one day, he said, he showed him a valley of bones. He said, can, can these bones live? And he said, oh, Lord, only you know. He said, tell them. Tell them to live. And he commanded that they live. And they all came together. And God's spirit breathed on them. And there was muscle and tissue added to it. And put yourself in my place. I don't consider myself anyone to do this. But I felt the Lord tell me to do it. And I will do it. In the same way Jeremiah spoke over that valley of dry bones. In the name of Jesus and by faith in that name, I command you to live. I speak over your life, your situation, your shortcomings, your weaknesses, your failures, your frailties, your insecurities, your idiosyncrasies. And I speak by faith in the name of Jesus that you live. You come back to life. That you be restored wholly and fully for the glory of the Lord. Right where you are with what is missing and what is undone. Live in your rejection, in your mistreatment, in your abandonment, in your loneliness. Live in your loss, your pain, your sorrow, and your bereavement. Live even if you're in a state of helplessness, hopelessness, depression, or despair. In the place you never thought you'd be and in a place you never thought you could make it. In the same way he told Lazarus, out of what killed you, 
out of where you've been buried and, the, and in the sight of everyone who mourns your passing. Live. Now would you close your eyes with me this morning? It is our response to this word. Because see, I, I can't help you. I'm, I'm in the same situation you are. Man can't help us. But one word from the Lord can shatter a thousand lies. One word can break chains of bondage, restore years of loss. One word. And the word this morning for you is live. Live. God invites you. God expects you. And God commands you to live. With no one looking around, I'm not going to ask you to come to the front this morning. If this is your word, I don't know all of what it means, and you may not, but you know the Lord's speaking to you. I want you just to stand and say, I hear you, Lord. And I respond. I respond to you this morning, Lord. Live. Let your emotions live. Let your soul live. Let your babies live. Let your marriage live. Don't bury your hopes. Let them live. Because God is with you. God is for you. With no one looking around, if you're here and you say, Pastor John, I'd love to believe that. I, I don't even have the faith to. Stand anyway. Say, God, unbelieving and I stand. Help me, Lord. Would the rest of you stand with us this morning? You know what I believe the Lord wants for us categorically? That we have such an awareness of His investment in us that we're good no matter where we find ourselves. That you can find life in sorrow. It's not the absence of sorrow. It's God's not going to pull us out of the world to where we're exempt from it, the thing the other people go through. It doesn't work like that. It's alive even with limitation. It's alive even with frustration or, or limited. It's the life I saw in my earthly father in intensive care when he puts his arm up in that little pulley because he didn't have strength to hold it up and he sings his song to the Lord. That life that can't be squelched or moved. He wants us to have it and to know we have it. Where you can say, ain't nothing working but God. <laughs> He's working and I don't have to see. I can't go under and I, and I won't go backwards. The final thing I want to tell you this is this. The devil cannot, cannot, cannot overcome you. His only hope is to trick you into quitting. That's it. Keep going. Keep moving. Keep breathing. Keep worshiping. 
show evidence when the devil and hell and everyone says, you don't have the goods. Live. Live. So Lord, we stand before you today in simplicity and humility. Give us your perspective, I pray. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. We depend upon you. We look to you. We need you. We want you, O oh Lord. Let our lives shine brighter. Let our life that we have, no matter what side of the street we live on, may people look at us and say, God, I want what they have. May we bring you glory in that way that our life would look like light to them. That we would represent you in your fullness for us. Not giving us everything we want, but us knowing we have everything we need in you. Let that be said of us individually and our churches. And this local church, Lord. In Christ's name. Before you're dismissed, I want to... Oh, i got like one minute. I want you to think of this. How do I know, Brother John? You'll recognize the evidences of your faith this morning. It could come in small ways. And sometimes a phone call could just be a contraction letting you know that something else was coming. Now, unto him that's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or think according to the power that worketh in you. Have a wonderful Lord's Day. God bless you.